Thank you so much for tuning in to Stable Connections, the podcast. Today's episode is with Premier Equine owners Pat and Amy, who chat with us about the growth of their rehab facility. Pat, coming from a seventh generation ranching family, and Amy, with no horse experience in her family, come together with their skill sets and have complemented each other over the years, but not without some struggles. Hope you enjoy. Stable Connections is sponsored by Pacific Performance Chiropractic. Dr. Jamie Shorts helps riders and horses break through limitations to feel and perform at their best. As an FEI dressage rider, Dr. Jamie has a unique understanding of the needs of the equestrian and equine athlete. Pacific Performance is located in Livermore, California and specializes in human sports and equine chiropractic care. Please visit www.pacificperformancechiro.com to learn more. Stable Connections is sponsored by Healthy Horse CBD. Is your horse stiff, anxious, or in pain? Healthy Horse CBD can help with all of these and so much more. Healthy Horse CBD can also help your horse with arthritis or while rehabbing. Two strengths are available and works with all mammals. Apply on the lower lip daily for best results. Visit healthyhorse.co and use discount code capital S capital C 20 to receive 20% off your next purchase. Amy and I actually met while rodeoing. We're at the what they consider the amateur rodeo finals one year and that's how we met. And then a couple years later after we've been dating she had bought a new barrel horse and was wanting to get it more fit somewhere. So we were looking at a, trying to find a facility to swim a horse at. And not only were the facilities really limited, but what was there and available, not only did you have to seek them out to even find them, but the quality of care there just wasn't something we even really felt comfortable sending a horse to. And was this in California? Yeah, they were, we've always, or I've always been in this Oakdale area. Amy, when I met her, lived up above Sacramento in the Cameron Park area, but come from a seventh generation ranching family that raises a lot of quarter horses. So I've just always been in this area and always been around horses and cattle. So. Cool. And why were you guys looking for swimming specifically for this horse? He had some back issues. He had just a really weak hind end, just some issues that I was trying to look to get him stronger and doing some research. We just, there wasn't a lot of options, especially in this area for that. Like there was some places in Texas, but that was obviously not real feasible for me at that time. Yeah. And there might've been places out here. I mean, this is, it was 2008 when we started and and rehab was still kind of a new thing back then. So it, there were racehorse facilities that had aqua treads or swimming pools, but they were mostly down south or- And not specifically rehab. It was like a place that was established that also had something Correct. yeah you know uh, maybe a, a breeding farm that had a swimming pool in addition to it you know for their layup horses or something so right and so who was it out of you two that first brought the idea of like what if we start our own thing so I guess I should apologize to my wife now but it was my idea <laughs> oops <laughs> <laughs> sorry honey <laughs> so do you remember do each of you remember that conversation and what that was like in terms of yes, emotions I was very sick and he was like we should do this and we didn't, hadn't even moved in together at that point. And I was like, okay, great, fine. <laughs> yes. Um, so, but you I did just, say yes. <laughs> okay. 
I guess for me, it was. I remember it was 2007, and I was roping on a colt at the house, and it it fell, and and I broke my elbow, and I was laid up. And at the time, I'd been rodeoing, and and I was good and competitive, you know, throughout the country. But I wasn't making a living, and I just kind of felt like I was spinning my wheels, and and was looking for a way to, you know, start something and make a good living and be able to afford a wife. So. Oh, be able to afford a wife. <laughs> With horses. So also, like, he has this whole background of ranching family and horses. I did not grow up with a horse family. Like, it was very much the opposite. I grew up in Southern California in the city, like, around L.A. Did not have the same background. So how we ended up here is... I guess it's just crazy. how it works, but it's crazy. Yes. It's, yeah, you're meant to meet the people you do. So when did you come into horses? I mean, I wanted to like horses and do things with horses when I was young. That wasn't necessarily what my family did, so I started taking lessons. I rode English, rode some jumpers when I was in Southern California. My mom and I moved to Northern California, and I kind of switched disciplines into the more Western things. Did a little bit of, like... I mean, nothing extensively, like with cutting and stuff like that, but I do at least feel like I have an appreciation for a lot of different disciplines. Grew up going to the racetrack a lot because we live really close to Santa Anita. All of that somehow has helped immensely with what I do now. Didn't yeah. know that in the time at the time with everything, but... Isn't the real story you had a guinea pig that died and the small animal vet told you if you wanted something to last longer to get a horse? <laughs> oh! <laughs> it was a hamster. Oh, a hamster, sorry. <laughs> That's actually true. Yes, you're right. <laughs> and you're like, okay, I, can I have one? I feel like every little girl loves horses, right? But that's actually true. I did have a hamster. I thought it died. Turns out it didn't. Took it to the vet. The vet told me, or told my mom and I, that if I wanted something that lived longer, I should get a horse. And I was like, it's a little more expensive as okay. well. See, she says I don't listen to her. Right. <laughs> uh, so with that idea coming into fruition, what was step number one? Um, step number one is when I was laid up with my in a cast I was on the internet just kind of researching equipment equipment being an aqua tread and different things yeah like that. so or what we actually options. started with was just one euro sizer and a cold water spa and at the time there was one cold water spa on the west coast no one knew it was there I mean it was hidden and um, it's for like a private yeah facility. what does a cold water spa it's uh, 35 degree salt water. Okay. Um, so it, it ices from the hocks and knees down. And, and they it, just stand in yep. it? And okay. it's the most effective icing on the market, in our opinion. Okay. And now they're everywhere at all the horse shows. You know, that you go to thermal to the jumping, and there's three or four saltwater spas. Now, yeah. ironically, we were the first person to take a spa mobile to shows. Cool. So first step, you started researching everything, coming up with how much money is going to have to go and into I, all of this. And I wanted an Aquatread. That would have been ideal to start with, but it was... You know, 120 to 150 thousand installed, and and we were able to find a demo cold water spa unit through ECB Spas that actually was owned by one of the sheikhs in Dubai, I think. Hmm. And they traded it in or bought another one or something, but we were able to get that for about half the price, 60, 65 thousand, and money was definitely an option on what our decisions were at the time. So we started with cold water spa and. It was probably a tougher route to start with and go, but I guess in the end it opened a lot of doors and. What made it tougher? It was no one knew what it was. Well, Luckily, go ahead. Time, I don't like. We decided we we're gonna have like you know layups and rehab, and it wasn't necessarily accepted or well known. I mean, the diagnostics 
even since we've been in business, have been really interesting to see with what the vets can do and what they know now. And in conjunction with what we do, it's been amazing to see just the building blocks through it all. And at that time, it wasn't necessarily at that level. Yeah, mm -hmm. 15 years ago, there weren't rehab centers everywhere. Now, and you go to Texas, there's one in every town, it seems. <laughs> yeah, I think even just within the veterinary world, outside of facilities with rehab, just in the vet world, just the progression of oh, everything. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and so with getting that, did you already have a property in mind that you found? <laughs> no. I, I go big or go home, I guess, and I'm a very conservative guy until it comes time for business, and then I just swing for the fences, I guess. We don't spend any money unless it's, like, <laughs> real money. I, I'll, I'll <laughs> be like, I don't know if we can afford that Starbucks, but let's go spend 500000 here, so... <laughs> I grew up in the town of Jamestown. It's a small little town, about half hour from Oakdale, and, and that's where my family's ranch is. And there was a property that had, you know, a 20-stall barn and an arena and then some air motels that they did boarding at that was for sale at the time. And really cool place. It, it is a really neat place right off the highway. Yeah. And we were able to uh, get into that place, you know, and be there for a couple years and, and fix it up and kind of renovate it. We ended up boarding horses there. We you know, had little roping clubs and I started colts and we put on barrel races and Amy gave lessons and did all this different stuff, but to pay our bills, to pay our bills, but, but still rehab, with rehab was mind. always the focus. Yeah. We had the 20 stall barn and that was my rehab barn. If a boarder wanted to rent in there, I might've had 19 open stalls in that 20 stall barn, but nope, that was our rehab barn. That was always our focus, but we also had to pay our bills. Like we started this, we decided to do this. At the age of 25 and 21, you know. Is that, is that the age you guys were? Oh yeah, oh, not wow. even married or yeah. anything. Nope, we weren't married, we moved in together, we decided to move start a business and we went into this and, and you're still here to do this and, <laughs> <laughs> and we didn't have you know money men behind us we didn't have a family money behind us we decided to do this and we went to work and it was a struggle and we did whatever we could to pay our bills but we did have that focus in mind the whole time that's always been the goal is rehab is what we do yeah, and is the main reason for that because there wasn't that around here? That, and we knew there was a niche market there that if we were able to develop it, we can make a good living, you know. I, we I, thought that anyways. This was what was in our head. You know? Yeah. We had, I ran all my numbers. I still remember getting a, a business loan through American Ag Credit, and I had to do a business plan. And, you know, I was an ag business uh, major at, at Cal Poly. I did not graduate. And I did not attend many ag business classes. I was there for other reasons, doing the business plans and sitting down. And I remember going, man, if I could just have 15 of these 20 stalls full, I'm going to be able to make a living here. Well, there's a lot of other expenses a guy doesn't really consider. For Plus, sure. you know, being able to have a staff to where we could have a life. And, and that did didn't happen for a long time. So Yeah, I figure... At least in that first property, if you're teaching and you're doing everything that you mentioned that you were doing, that there wasn't much time for each other, let alone well, your health. Well, I was working or... also at a vet clinic, and I was a vet tech for a long time doing that, and, which helped a lot for me just to learn a lot of things that I needed to and whatnot, but it was a lot of balance, and we didn't have employees. We, we cleaned salts together every day. Yeah, I mean, we hey, were, that's your quality time. <laughs> and, you know, didn't get to leave a lot together. I remember before before we opened the business, I'm like, we're getting ready to open this business, so 
we're going to go down to Southern California, see your family, mm. go to Disneyland. Almost like a go, baby moon. Yeah, <laughs> go 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 do some stuff before because we knew we were going to be tied down and. That's good that you recognized that before it happened. It was hard though because like we didn't leave together. Like he went to his family or to a friend's wedding, and I didn't get to go. It was a college roommate of his, and I didn't get to go. My grandpa passed away. He didn't get to go to the funeral with me. You know, I, the family stuff we didn't get to do a lot of together. So it was. It was hard too because like even though my family's in a ranching, you know they ranch for a living. That's all they do. And everything's dictated by the animals. They still didn't understand at times why we couldn't be at certain things or why I couldn't make the family brandings or, you know, it was really tough with, with her family also, you know. People so. don't, and it's not necessarily the, like, I'm not putting anybody down, but it's hard for people to understand why, especially at the age that we were in. Not a lot of people are running a business and an operation like that at, like, mid-20s. It's very hard. (laughs) Yeah. What is it about, so I want each of you to answer, but what was it about your partner that made you think that this would work? I mean, Amy's always been so hardworking and an amazing horsewoman. Her horsemanship skills for someone that grew up in the city she went and, and rode with you know a lot of good ran cow horse trainers cutting trainers she still to this day can put horses on driving lines and make horses that are barely broke like slide and turn back on driving lines and she's just so hardworking and and honest and i knew that you know with a partner like that we could be successful mm-hmm. work ethic well, that was nice. And what's your take? <laughs> I Honestly, Pat's always had this focus. He had a vision. He's always just worked hard. And anything that he had to give up to make this work, and honestly, to make it work for us, he was going to do. Like, there was no in-between. This was going to work, and this was going to happen. There's nobody that's worked harder than Pat and has taken this more seriously. Well, we had to make it work. We owed everybody money. We had loans everywhere. We had private loans everywhere. And we're not married and once again we moved in together started a business together it wasn't always easy and and i knew if i couldn't keep this business going i would lose her also and then there's you know she's always been extremely loyal and always there but you know the the business kind of kept us even through bad times to make sure we worked through it to to figure it out so yeah and with that do you feel as though you're more like the business side of things and you're more like the horses up yeah okay agreed yeah i feel like and i felt like this from the beginning and this might sound a little cliche but what he's not good at i am and what i'm not good at he is and i have to feel like that's what's made this work also Yeah, from an outsider's perspective, that's in general what makes a relationship work, especially in a business relationship. Like you're not only business partners, but you're also together. Yeah. (laughs) And are you married now? Yeah. Okay. We've been together 19 years, married nine years, so. Okay, so you were together 10 years. Cool. That was the largest client appreciation dinner we ever (laughs) threw was our wedding. A lot of them were clients. I'm I'm going to jump kind of ahead of the story here, and I will say we waited a long time, but at the same time, there was a lot of people that had a huge part of our life at that time and had been there for us. I mean, people that we never would have expected that had been there for us, not just necessarily financially, but helped us 
navigate that. And also we're just there for us as, as a couple for our relationship or for just us as people that ended up meaning the world to us. So had we not waited, we wouldn't have had those people in our life. And the people that we did have at our wedding was for a reason. And they meant a lot to us. And there are a lot of clients or, you know, vets that have become really good friends of ours or trainers that were, I mean, it, like this horse world is so big and so small. And because of what we've done, we have made so many relationships. Like I, I will get a slightly emotional about it because it's been a huge thing for us. People that have come into our lives through it have been amazing. Uh, it's a goal of mine to get people, people to cry on this also, podcast. <laughs> I love when people cry on this podcast, so let it out for you, too. Um, people drive me crazy a little, too, sometimes, but, you know, you get best of both worlds in the horses. Yeah, and there's a there's a good kind of crazy and a bad kind of crazy, and I think that both are needed, even in terms of, like, getting a client that's exhausting, but then you learn how to set that boundary or you learn how to change things up or... And then the, I feel like it's been a long time, but even in the short amount of time with this, like it's funny how we see how we've changed just and, and grown from it just because we were so young. In the um, beginning, if there was a crazy client, I would go handle them hmm. and Amy would kind of go do her thing away. And now that role's completely reversed. reversed. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> I think it's just, it's funny how you just kind of learn how to manage people, not even just the horses, but the people that are, you know, in the business too. And I don't mean that in a bad way. That's just the reality of it yeah definitely and so in those beginning stages at that first property what was kind of the hardest thing i know it sounds like there were a lot of hardships and a lot of growing pains it, it was just getting it all going you know you're not only trying to build a business you're trying to up get there, relationships yeah, with people but get those relations and, and i tell people all the time that we had no business being in the business you know we thought oh we're horse people we rodeo blah 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 i mean rodeo as much as we love it it's never been the industry or clientele that we sought out to build our business for. But we were not tied into the horse industry like we thought we were and how we needed to be. Yeah, and it's hard to do that, too, unless you're reaching out. You have a place to do symposiums or different things like that. Like, it's hard to get a grasp on Well, nobody knew who we were when we started. And I think that was probably the first and hardest struggle. I don't know, hardest. It's hard to prioritize them. But I think... Nobody knew us, so we were trying to start this business. We knew that there was a need for it, but it wasn't... You had to gain people's trust. Well, why yes. would someone send their quarter-million-dollar jumper or half-million-dollar jumper to people they don't know and people that their trainers are like, you know, I don't know who they are. Why would you send your horse there? So Yeah, and getting, getting people to know us was the hardest part, and I don't blame them. I would be the same way. I can be neurotic about taking care of my horses because I am that neurotic horse owner myself but people don't know that about me at this point I always say I don't want to work for her <laughs> so I think that was part of the hardest thing is nobody knew us so we spent a lot of time going I don't think anybody knows how much time we spent going to talk to people I would stay at the place and take care of things Pat would go and meet people and talk to the vets and and gain those relationships and we had to pay our dues and, and talk to people and try to get people to know us. We would go get booths at different vet clinics or open houses or something like that and and I got to meet a lot of the pharmaceutical reps and actually kind of got adopted by them because one of the reps at the time that was really tied in knew who I was from rodeo and Cal Poly and it said hey 
to to the other pharmacist, hey, you know, this is a good guy. Bring cool. him into our circle. Yeah. And we got brought into their circle. Once and again, though, the people that you don't expect and how this all works and comes mm-hmm. together is you crazy. Know, yeah. A lot of those people are still our close friends today and stay with us every time they're in the area. But I looked at the model that they did and I was like, okay, they're building relationships with the vets by doing this and that and that. So then, in a way, I pretty much became our own rep. And I would, you know, drive to all the vet clinics, try and get meetings, lunches, do whatever I could to try and get some relationships and get some chances. And I still remember, you know, one of our bigger clients is Steinbeck and Salinas. And driving down there and getting blown off by the owner of the clinic. And now he's one of my best friends in the whole world and we talk almost every day and sometimes about horses, you know. I mean, it's just funny how it... How it all how it goes all full works. circle. Yeah. Well, and you probably have an idea of what it's like when so many people are like, ooh, your thing is working, a vet clinic. All these people come with these ideas, and they can't say yes to everyone. They don't know you yet, blah, exactly. blah, blah. And so, yeah. And what we're going to end up taking care of is some of these, you know, higher-end horses. And that's not, like, even for me, I didn't want to just send my horse just to anyone that wasn't okay with me so why should it be okay for anybody else and I get that but yeah. that was what we had to navigate through and work through yeah and a lot of owners probably don't live very close so like sending your horse three four five six seven hours away from you for multiple months at a time like to me that would be terrifying and that's yeah. one of the the things that Steinbeck specifically told me is you guys are three hours away our clients aren't going to send them there And how I finally kind of got in with them is Matt Durham was working there at the time and he had a client that I knew through rodeo that sent us a horse. And then I started taking that horse back for rechecks. And, you know, we were always professional. We always had the horses presentable. We still do to this day. And, you know, the horse was doing really well through its healing on a suspensory. I still remember the horse's name, the client, and everything else. And then Matt goes, well... Hey, I got this horse I'd like to send back with you. Mm-hmm. And then, oh, I got this horse. And then the other vets at the clinic are going, you know, well, hey, I mean, let's send this horse over there. Well, and then I think vets realize, like, we weren't trying to necessarily steal horses either. And I think that's, it's a hard balance that this is how the industry works. But if a vet sends us that horse, they get that horse back. I'm not going to have somebody else take over. I'm not a vet. I don't try to be a vet. So Pat will make a trip down to Steinbeck to make sure that those horses get their rechecks by their vets. And I think that's been a a very important process for us and why I think it it helps horses succeed even more so because that vet knows that horse, knows that client. It's the best thing for the client too and the horse. And yeah, yeah, we've, we've turned into a referral facility. We only take our rehab horses on referrals from veterinarians. We keep those horses, like she says, with the referring veterinarian. And, and a lot of those clinics come to our facility now and recheck their horses, you know, every two weeks, every four weeks, every six weeks. And the ones that can't get here, I will haul to the clinic. You know, we haul a lot of horses for our clients and for our clients only. We're not commercial haulers. We do have our class A's and everything to be legal, but you know, I'm not going to haul a horse just for anybody, but we are on the road a lot for our clients. Yeah, that makes sense. So I know that you went from that first property to now this property. So what was that journey? Well, there was actually a second property in between. There was the old Pioneer Equine Hospital. They'd built their new clinic here in Oakdale and their old clinic was sitting empty and we knew that we needed to get down into where some action was and a better location just because we were kind of out of the way. 
and it wasn't a convenient spot. We knew a, a better location and so we worked with Brad Jackman when he moved. It worked out really well for everybody. And it wasn't necessarily that we were a part of Pioneer Equine Hospital. We worked with them a lot on things, but we had our yeah. own business. We just worked out of that older facility that they had, which worked great for us. When we moved down there, I think we had... 10 or 12 horses in yeah. what we had. One um, or two of those might have been ours. Yeah, yeah. And we knew we needed to do something to focus on the rehab more and and make that a better spot for us. So and the training stopped. Once you moved from that property to Pioneer, the training and the Correct. And in the meantime is when we started taking the spot to some shows too. And, and actually when we moved, one of the vets that was really starting to send us some rehab horses was Marty Gardner, who's based out of I own Western Performance Equine. And they were adamant that we get an underwater treadmill. And they were very specific on what treadmill it had to be and why. You know, we have the below ground treadmill for a reason. And in a way, they actually helped find a private party to, to loan us the money at the time to, to oh, put cool. in the Aquatread. So when we moved from Jamestown to Oakdale, when we got to Oakdale, we had our Aquatread in the ground and ready to go and, and, you know, ready to start operating out of there. So. so in the meantime, I guess I kind of jumped ahead again, but in the meantime, we decided that we needed to get our name out there. So that's why I say nobody knew us. Pat was going around doing that and we decided that we needed we had talked to some other vets we needed to get our name out there we needed people to know us so we had some friends <laughs> show up for us and decided that we're going to put the spa on a frame and we're going to haul the spa to some shows <laughs> it was actually kind of tom yarbrough's idea um, dr yarbrough's a surgeon that ran the surgery unit for Sheikh Mohammed in Dubai for a long time. And they have a lot of cold water spas. So, you know, it was hard to find veterinarians out here that actually knew what one was. And Tom was like, hey, it's a great piece of equipment. You need to get it out there and, and let people, you know, use it. So get people to see that results is the biggest so, thing probably. Yeah, so we decided the first year we were gonna take the spa, the first event was a snaffle bit fraternity in Reno. and there's a lot of horses and it was a long show so I figured you know we have a chance here and I called the show vet Joe Carter who's from Oklahoma and still a good friend and he said I was telling him all about this machine and he goes well you don't have to tell me about it I own one if you can get it there I promise you I'll put horses in it and he did and it that first year it took off and you know, I was by myself up there, and there was days I was spawning horses from 5 in the morning till 11 at night by myself. And uh, I couldn't go help him because was I running had to things take at home. the place. Yep. You know, and so then we did that for a couple of years, and then we'll, you know, if we skip a few steps, then we ended up moving to this facility, and, and luckily we got big enough and were busy enough to where we didn't need to haul the spa around anymore to... You know, help pay some bills and put tires on vehicles and we met a lot of people doing that a lot of people got familiar with us we made a lot of great relationships and although i look back and i, I don't want to do that again i'm so glad we did we um, laugh at some of the things that we did oh god yeah but. well and it sounds like even in the moment you knew this isn't the end goal but we just need to like stick to this yep. for now because eventually we'll get to where we want to be that was the hope yep. yeah do you feel like you guys are where you wanted to be now? Um, this has been quite the ride. So I say yes. However, at that same time, I don't think we ever really realized what we were asking for or what this was going to turn into because what it's turned into now is amazing. 
but it's not what we even knew. Was possible. We were just trying yeah. to, you know, pay our bills, make a living. Take care of horses. Take care of horses, see where it led. Like, yes, we had a focus and a vision to an extent, but we also, I have to say, I don't think had any idea. We never dreamt of being this big. This was never the goal. Yeah. And we went from having no employees, is. cleaning stalls ourselves, you know, and, and through this process, we don't all of a sudden now have 20 employees. Right. We do now have, you know, 20 employees who are great, and we couldn't do what we do without them, but it's been a process because everybody sees what our facility is now, like you saw the facility today. Everybody sees what it is now, but it's been a building block of a process. I would say one thing that we realized too is yes we're focusing on the vet clinics but then I looked around and I said okay where are the most horses in one spot and I looked to Golden Gate Fields there's a thousand head of race horses there okay how do I get into Golden Gate Fields well I had no idea the racetrack is so tight and they all have their relationships and they all have their farms and their people well, on Sundays, which was technically kind of our off day, I would drive over there 4 a.m. or whatever, and I got hooked up with uh, Kim Coleman, who's one of the vets, manager partner in San Francisco Equine, and he'd let me ride along with him and, you know, help twitch horses for him to scope or do whatever and, and introduce me to people. And, you know, eventually Terry Knight, who now runs Legacy Farm, was training, and, and he sent a couple horses. And then we had friends in common with a trainer named Jeff Bondi. You know, Jeff... The first horse he sent to Jeff, yeah. Jeff has 80 or 90 head of horses in training at Pleasanton and Santa Anita at the time and is just killing it and has this barn of stakes winners. And he he always kept saying, well, come back, come back, and I'll, I'll send you something one day. And he, he called me the corn-fed cowboy. I'm kind of a big guy. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, and then he calls me one day, hey, cowboy, I got a horse for you. Come get it. The first horse he ever sent to us just ran in the Kentucky Derby. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I, I guess I kind of kind of got off track a little bit with that. But, um, you know, my focus was trying to get to where there's a lot of horses and get in with people. And, and we did a good job for a couple trainers, and we were really lucky that... But they also, we had people give us a chance. Like, for some reason, and I don't want to say for some reason, like, I, I'm sure there's reason. But to us, it was for some reason these people gave us a chance like yes we were working hard and yes we were doing our job and like nobody was working harder to do the job that we're doing but we also had people that we didn't expect give us a chance send us some horses I mean that was a huge deal you know the next thing you know I'm flying to all the racehorse sales just to try and meet more people and get in with more people and Jeff is introducing me to Bob Baffert and introducing me to John Sadler and the biggest trainers in the industry saying, this kid right here is the best ever. Send send him your horses. Now, Baffert never sent us any horses. Um, we've had, we've had <laughs> Well, we've had mutual clients. I've had horses leave our barn to go to Baffert's or leave his barn to come to our place and, you know, during the whole trainer switch. But everybody gets along and it's just this big story. But you know, the not only did Jeff take us in and he was at the time just a huge in the, the number of horses he had, which means there's going to be quite a few horses to go to a farm. He not only, you know, sent us horses, but he tried to get other people to send us horses and and some of his owners to this day, I mean his owners and him, they were at our wedding, and, and there was nowhere else they would have rather have been that night, and I truly believe that, you know. 
Like, they became family to us. Yeah, I think it seems as though, from an outsider's perspective, from early on, you recognized how much intention, like, your guys' intention isn't to make a bunch of money and have all this lavish stuff. It was to help the horses, to help the people, to help the connection, but then to recognize that connecting with people matters. And even if you go and help that vet all day, but you're not getting paid, you're there literally just to connect and to network is so beneficial, more than money. Yeah, I don't I mean, think anybody in this industry is actually thinking they're going to make that much money. Some people come into it thinking they might, and then they get a well, and, and awakening. I don't, I don't care what it is. If you do a good job, all the other stuff's going to come. And if you have good intention. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, definitely. And so how many years into it until you felt like it was decently steady or that you kind of found your ground? I know we didn't turn a profit for about three and a half years. The IRS is auditing us going, how are these kids living? And I'm like, it's off of loans. And they're like, yeah, whatever. And then we sit down in the audit. Yeah. Who would have thought I would go sit down 27 (laughs) years old, six years old. (laughs) <laughs> with an IRS guy going, yeah, here's my receipts. And you felt And confident? he's like, he's like, we yeah. we weren't making money? Yes. <laughs> you have everything here. Yeah, definitely confident we weren't making money at the time. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> you know. Definitely confident that we were, you know, scraping the other change to go buy groceries at yeah. times. Yes. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. And so the move to this property, tell me about that. It was about, it was 10 years ago this year. So it was, um. And five years into the business? Yeah, yeah. I actually saw the Facebook reminder the other day on the memory where I, you know, thanked some people. I think we moved like 80 head of horses because at the time, here, here's where we go more is Sorry, we have no, that's fine. We have racehorse owners that are saying, hey, this good stud that you had for us, he's hurt again. We're going to retire him. We want to breed some mares. Okay. Can you breed mares? Oh, yeah. If that's sure. what we need to do. Yeah. Yeah, if that's what we have to do. So we're at the old equine hospital, and there's little, you know, two-acre spots here across the road, three acres. So we go to talking to the neighbors, and we get two or three of these fields rented. And so we have broodmares across the road, broodmares here, and we're next thing you know, we're breeding 10 or 12 mares to, you know, these graded stakes winners and just took doing whatever. Yeah. <laughs> exactly, Staking took on, on another, another project. project. Now, yep. And at the time, we had a couple employees, and it's crazy how some of the best employees in the world will come into your life when you need them. Do you remember the very first person you hired oh, and yeah. what that was like? He worked half a day for us, and he left us to go open his own taco truck. Oh. I remember that to this day. Yeah. Yeah. Our second employee, amazing employee, would do anything for us, good horseman. When we got big, he couldn't handle this many employees. He was great if it was him and one other guy he got along with. But when you start throwing eight or ten other guys to work with into the deal, it just didn't work for him. But he brought us Juan, who doesn't really have any horse experience. Juan works for us to this day and Mm. is his family. Like a few of our guys are, I mean, family. So We have have several very long-time employees that, yeah, we feel like are family. They've been through a lot with us and through the whole, not the whole session, but a lot. Why do you think they've stuck with you guys? Uh, I think their values are a lot like ours. They're hardworking. They know that we're good people. I know that they're good people. You know, when Juan and some of these guys started, they weren't getting paid a lot, but we did everything we promised to them. They did everything they promised to us. And There's a mutual respect. So. Yeah, definitely. 
And so when moving on to this property, what did it offer when you bought it? And then what does it offer now? So it was a Valley Oak Ranch, which is Jerry Black's breeding facility. They stood a lot of cutting horse stallions here and at one time had, you know, 200 head of horses between this and the neighboring property, which is no longer, you know, part of this property. So we're on 40 acres, but there was a lot of stalls here, a lot of infrastructure. There was already a Eurosizer here and then when we moved over here, while we were still at the old Pioneer Equine Hospital, we were building the swimming pool here and doing some things to get it set up so that when we moved horses, it would be as easy a transfer as possible. So when we moved to the old clinic, we had, I said, 12 horses when we moved over there. By the time we left there, we had grown to where we were running out of space and we had the opportunity to move over here. A client of ours actually bought this place, but we had the opportunity to grow here. Or we were a little bit stuck there at that point. Didn't know that we were going to need more than that. Turns out we did. So we were able to put in the pool here and grow our business here and expand. Yeah. So that's what this place offered us. Not that we didn't, I mean, I, we loved our spot over there. This just gave us an opportunity to grow some more. More opportunity. Yeah, so you were saying it has a bunch of stalls. It had a Euro sizer. You've added a pool. You've added your aqua tread. Yeah, so we had the aqua tread at the old facility, and this is the way we get things done. <laughs> we removed the aqua tread from the old facility, had it installed and ready to roll here in one week. Oh, one wow. week we were down in aqua tread for one week. We still had our spa at the other facility, at the old facility, and we would spa, you know, keep the spa horses over there, and we'd be spawing them and walking them on the Eurosizer over there while, you know, our next employee after one, I met at a racehorse facility with a swimming pool one day and he impressed me so much and I gave him my business card and I said, if you ever need anything, you call me. And about a year later, he called me and said, I need a job. This place is shutting down. And, you know, Jose's one of our main guys and, and he heads up the swimming pool to this day and, and there's a lot to the swimming pool and we never would have put one in if it wasn't for him swimming horses for years. So Jose and his guys were swimming horses. I was over there spawning horses. Amy was unpacking boxes. Like, like <laughs> we never say, missed a day on our horses it, to this whole transition. I was going to say, is, if you haven't noticed, like, if a horse is supposed to go in the aqua tread three days a week, that is what is happening. <laughs> if it is supposed to go on the walker for this long, that is what's happening. If it's supposed to swim, whatever that horse is supposed to do, that is what's happening. We don't miss days and we don't not do our job. And I think that's what people appreciate. And I'm not saying that other places don't strive to do that as well. But even when we were moving, we strategically planned everything to where our horses didn't just have downtime and we were just not working. <laughs> yeah, they stayed to their schedule. And so how did you guys learn? Because there is a learning curve with using kind of these different modalities. How did you guys learn? by doing yeah i mean we don't start the horses the same way in the aqua tread we did 12 years ago we have a whole like we and we've learned it over the years and we have people that if they want to put in a facility somewhere they'll hire us to consult or well more packs i'm usually here but um and help them train and learn how to do it just because we i feel like we've yeah we've helped design facilities we've gone down there and helped them you know show them how to start how we start horses, whether that's the right or wrong way, I don't know. It's what works for us. They're asking for your yeah. advice, so, yeah. so it sounds like they're seeking. I think it. everybody has their way. This is what we've learned has worked for us, and we do everything. I mean, 
it's horses. So we try to control everything the best that we can. You know, that's rehabbing is a controlled environment to an extent. Horses don't always do what you want them to. But we've learned what works the best for us and, and why. And when a horse comes here, it's not only vet referred, but then the vet kind of coordinates the rehab process for it So as we well. work with the vet, the trainer, the client, everybody has to be on the same page if it's going to work for this horse. And we have a very good relationship with a lot of our trainers too because that's where a lot of these horses you know, have to go back to or are coming from with the vets and the owner has to be on board. Yeah, so if a horse is gonna come here and rehab, the vet, veterinarian sends discharges to us that we follow that kind of lays out the rehab. Our job is to make sure that that happens and if something were to go backwards or the wrong direction, to let them know so that we can adjust again. That's why it's so important to do these periodic rechecks. So a lot of the, the vet clinics will check their horses every couple weeks, every 30 days, every six weeks, you know, depending on their schedule, so that we can progress in their rehab, stay where we're at, or make some changes, you know, hopefully not in the other direction, but you know, there's times that it doesn't work as well as we'd like. So, I mean, yeah. that's just the reality with horses. Yeah, and what's the process like introducing a horse to the pool? Uh, to the pool, we're very hands-on. We use five people. And it's an in-ground pool? So our, 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 well, our swimming pool is, yeah, I mean, it's in-ground. Our aqua tread is, is in-ground, too. It's a 40-foot straight pool with a treadmill in the middle um, that they walk on. But, you the know, the swimming pool, they're free swimming. It's zero concussion. You know, the main thing is the first couple days, we're just going to swim. Um, individual laps like take them in swim a lap bring them out and it's like a in. pool that where they just so there's a visual there it's a round pool a round yeah. pool and the horse there's like a walking in yep. like a beach there's a ramp yep there's yeah. a ramp that they walk down and walk back out of and then there's a little bridge that we have on a winch that actually lowers and that's for us to walk across so once the horses are trained then we start swimming continuous laps and building up the continuous laps and that bridge it lowers is for us to walk across it. The horses can. So you don't have can. to swim next to the horse. Yeah, we don't want to do that. <laughs> there has there ever been a time where the human accidentally fell in? Oh yeah, I, <laughs> you, you know, funny you should ask, Amy. <laughs> yeah, you know, usually I'm gonna be that guy with everything and. <laughs> okay. What? <laughs> I'm always I shouldn't. I did this myself. I'm always multitasking, and we were starting a new horse, and the horse swam the horse extremely slow. Times. Yes, the horse had swam extremely slow and. Usually, I had a different rope than I usually do. Maybe someone was on vacation, one of our guys. And all I did is I wasn't paying attention and I was talking to someone else and I short-stepped the bridge and just fell right in. It was amazing. Yeah. But <laughs> it can, was amazing. I can get out of water a lot faster than you'd think I can. It was like a cat. Yeah. And I, yeah. if you see me, I'm not like a cat at all. So. <laughs> yeah, you're pretty tall. I'm the corn-fed cowboy. So. Right, 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 right. <laughs> uh, we, uh, we told the vet, actually, it was one of our vets, wives horses oh that's right um, <laughs> so it was a funny story and the horse had been in a couple of times but it was it was pretty good um, <laughs> honestly most of the horses take to everything really well the horses we get are handled a lot they're high-end performance horses we expect the horses to be a lot and a very um, high caliber type of a horse but they also are used to having a job when water is a natural thing it's not like you're walking it into something that's not 
Horses naturally. naturally swim, some better than others. Yeah. Yep. But but yeah, starting a horse in the pool or in the aqua tread, I wouldn't exactly call natural for them. I guess that's uh, true. You know, once they're trained, they take to it amazingly well, and I mean probably I, also especially during summertime. Yeah, especially <laughs> in Oakdale when it's a hundred degrees. Yeah. But, but we do it all year long and don't have a problem yeah. with horses. And every now and then, I tell people this all the time: like the horse will tell you if they don't like something if it's not for them. And you really, and I think this is where like our guys are great. Um, we don't start anything without us both being here because every now and then a horse will tell you this isn't for me but maybe this other thing is when that happens you have to have a conversation that's sometimes not fun but you have a conversation with the vet you have a conversation with the trainer you have a conversation with the owner and you tell them what's going on and and you know make sure everybody's in agreement and on the same page and then we you know transfer from the pool to the aqua tread or vice versa and that doesn't happen very often but it does happen and i don't give the horses the opportunity to have something catastrophic happen that's why there's some it's not i don't have so many people starting them because i'm worried about a problem i do have so many people there because i'm not willing to take a chance on a problem right that makes sense to me and has there ever been a moment where the owner is adamant on something and the vet does not agree and yep. how you handle it. And I tell them that, you know, I have to do what the veterinarian is discharging. You know, if they want something different, then maybe we're not the right facility for them. And that's okay. There's other facilities. That doesn't mean that, like, we're the best match for every person. Right. Or they might need a second vet opinion or whatever but that looks like I, as well. I, I'm not a veterinarian. Um, neither is Amy. We don't claim to be veterinarians. We don't try and be veterinarians. We are horse managers. We are people managers. Uh, we are horsemen. And our job is to do what is discharged by the veterinarian for us to do with those horses. And, you know, it's funny because I have one good vet and very good jumping trainer. And she, the, the trainer wants every horse in the aqua tread. The vet wants a lot of her horses in the pool. And, and they have to it. work it out amongst <laughs> each other. They kind of let me know what's finally happening. And, and what's funny is now that we've been swimming more of her horses, she's really coming around from the aqua tread to the pool um just because in the past due to some studies that i don't necessarily agree with the pool has got some negative um press if you let horses swim inverted and you know this and that which we and our guys don't let happen so right anyway do you guys ever take time off now yeah so yeah i mean we have 20 employees we have two managers that are amazing that we trust anything with i mean they are as dedicated to this facility as we are when we're struggling with some stuff no matter if it's business or personal or whatever they are there to pick up our slack and make sure that that everything is still smooth sailing smooth sailing and, and we don't leave for long periods of time because it does stress us out <laughs> understandable anytime not, you run a business we will not leave um, north america that is our agreement she wants to go to europe she Together. wants to do all this stuff we will do that one day but or you do right it now, yeah. we will, you know, we'll sneak away. Cabo's easy for us to get to. Just four or five day getaway sometimes just to refresh. Or, you know, there's different places that we are easy leave. for us to get in and out of. And if we needed to get home, we can. So. Yeah. We don't leave as long or um, go as much as maybe I would ideally like. But that's just also not feasible with what we do. Yeah. Do you guys have any hobbies? Horses. <laughs> Nothing so, outside of horses. So, um, not really. Lately, or last year or two, we've kind of gotten back into rodeoing a little bit. She's we running barrels. We haven't really had our own horses for a while until recently again. Yeah, we kind of had to give up our dreams or passions or whatever to make another dream and passion work. And, you know, here Which in the last hard. couple of years, um, you know, Amy made the amateur finals. 
barrel racing last year. I started entering again this year. I have the amateur finals made this year, which Might you know for not roping in fifth. Yeah, when you not when you haven't roped or competed in fifteen years. That's great. You you don't rope and ride. My horsemanship is not what it used to be, and and I mean it's kind of it's been a struggle for me mentally because I don't rope like I did 15 years ago but I still want to win and expect a lot and Amy expects a lot out of herself so um, we maybe didn't pick the most fun hobby since we're so critical on ourselves but yeah <laughs> as long as it's as long as it's fun I mean it is most of the time horses just aren't always fun we love them <laughs> it's been fun to, to, to what what's been the most fun about it is to be able to get away together, go on some road trips, see some old friends, and just spend some time together, like it, exactly how we it, met. The hard part of it is we still want to be competitive and compete, but it's also been fun to get to do it together again and, yeah. and do that. To just be fun with it. Yeah. So something I like to ask everyone is what is something within the community that you want to see evolve or change, and then how can you help with that? And you can have kind of individual answers if you want. You so, might have the same answer. Like, as far as a, the industry with rehab, like I said before, I think that it's been an interesting evolution just in the time that we've been here. And I don't necessarily know if I want to see anything specifically change, but I am always excited to see what's happening. And I think that's really great that there is still so much being studied and the vets that we have that we get to work with i i love it i i hope that there's still more vets that want to do this that are coming up that we get to work with because it's such an interesting area that's my biggest part is i think the rehab is still growing and the understanding of what we can do and work with is really cool and like Amy always says, like horses are amazing, and the things they let us do to them, and and accept, and learn to love, and I mean, I think that's awesome, and that's gonna help. Yeah, I don't know why they let us do what we do. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> so I don't know necessarily what I would want to see change, but I do like to see the evolution of it. Yeah, the continual I, learning. I don't want to like go down a negative road here, but I I think what I see in the industry is. Any professional, whether it's a veterinarian or a trainer or us, um, we're all under the gun a lot, I, I would say, under a lot of pressure. Um, you know, I, I see my veterinarian friends that we, we travel a lot. If we're going to go somewhere, we're often going to be with a horse trainer or a vet on vacation. Um, they are our friends that we have a lot in common. Um, and our phones are just unreal. My phone rings all night long text messages at one in the morning and it's you know it's it's stressful because we all are so dedicated to what we do we were in a call yesterday and i had my phone on silence and it, it kills me because i can feel my phone ringing and i don't know who's calling and i really can't at that time i know i'm not gonna be able to check my phone for an hour and i'm, I'm just our job is to take care of our clients our employees our horses and we're all so dedicated to what we do for a living and only want what's best. But um, sometimes in this industry, the, the clientele is, is very tough and very demanding. And I think that's where, especially like the not one more vet has really come into uh, play is, is so much are expected out of horse professionals that sometimes it's not feasible or healthy 
More and practical. I, and it, or yeah. practical, and I see this with some of my friends, and, and sometimes us, too, and it, it's, it's hard to watch people you really care about go through some of this stuff when they're really just trying to do the best thing they can for their horses, for their clients, and for the people they work with. I think with. people don't so. see how hard the professionals work for them, and, and it's human nature, but it can be extremely daunting. Yeah. yeah, I think a lot of times clients forget that they aren't your only client, that you might have 20, 30, 40, 60, 80 other horses and people that you're caring for. I saw this with dating a farrier for a while, like with the farrier industry too, like when someone contacts them, it's my horse threw a shoe, my farrier's not answering, can you come do my horse right now? Yeah. And they're like with their kids at dinner, you know? And so kind of keeping that mindset that like, just because my world revolves around me does not mean your world is gonna revolve around me. Yeah, and, and our, ours does revolve around them and, and we do our best. And you know, I feel bad sometimes because we usually have a wait list here. And if someone, you know, I lose horses that should come to the facility because they weren't willing to give us a week or 10 days more with their horse at home. And you know, but I can't I, kick somebody out here because I've committed. I literally to don't have a stall them. to put their horse in and I hope wherever their horse went, I hope it went great. I always tell them in a text, man, I'm really sorry we couldn't work for you. I wish you the best with your horse, and I do wish them the best for their horse. I just know that if they could have had a little bit of patience with us, that we could have given them the, the best rehab that we could possibly give them, which we feel is the best rehab possible. But, uh, you know, the, the, we love our clients. Like we've said in this podcast, some of our clients have become some of our best, closest friends. But, I mean, that's one part of the industry that I feel is really tough. Yeah, and how do you think that could change? I, I think they need to look at, at their clock before they call or, or, or text. And, and I know texting has changed a lot of things in this industry or even emails where people don't necessarily, when they're off with their job, I don't think they look at their work texts or work emails because they're off. Well, we're, we're never off. My brain is never off. It is always... Well, I think just because people are like they have a day off or they didn't start work or they're off of work now we've been working like I mean there's days we start at four o'clock in the morning we're done when we're done at the end of the day I have to get my employees out of here by a certain time but there's not a lot of thought of my time <laughs> you know or we didn't go to my cousin's wedding the other night because he got married on Labor Day Sunday night we went for some of the pre-festivities, but it's like, hey guys, we gotta be at work Monday morning. And they're like, why do you have to be at work? It's a holiday. So, well, that's when a lot of our clients come out. We're open till noon on pretty much most of the major holidays. Because they're off. Because right. they're off it and they wanna come, come see come their visit. horses. Yep. So even though we have all these employees, you know, we can't expect them to, to work every holiday also. And, and, you know, I think that's one of the things I'm most proud of of our business is that even though it's the horse industry, we try and get all of our employees time away from this place. When some of our guys, their employees tell me, hey, you know, this vacation, I'm going to Hawaii. And I'm like, wow, you know, I know where this guy started. And now he's able to go to a, take his family family to Hawaii. Like that makes us proud that we're able to give a job that they can afford to do that. And I uh, love it. yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Because they but make our lives quality better. quality of life is an important part for us because yeah. we know what we've been through and what a lot of the people in this industry do. I mean, horses are not a go home at the end of the day. Yeah. No. 
And do you guys take any days off during the week? No. I mean, mm. technically Sunday we're closed to clients, but if I'm here, if we don't decide we're going to go do something together, I'm probably going to be in this office till 10 or 11 or 12, and then we're going to go do something or barbecue or go to the pool or, or go see some friends or something. But, but I do have people here all the time still taking care of stuff so we're gonna do what we need to do there's always people here like we have a routine with everybody yeah that if, makes sense if we're gonna go on vacation then we know everything is taken care of at the house or if and we're we gonna prep. go to something yeah and we have to play catch up and <laughs> yeah I, I mean if i'm gonna be gone i know kind of which horses are shipping i'm gonna do all my discharge paperwork on horses that might not actually leave but they might leave so i have to have all this stuff done and ready and ready for my crew and you know, every Sunday night, I'm redoing our Eurosizer lists for our Eurosizer lists are always going to restart on Monday, adjusting the schedules for every horse. If a vet changes the routine on Wednesday, they're going to stay on that same routine they've been on until Monday morning. Mm -hmm. So every Sunday night, if we're getting back from somewhere at midnight, I come to the office and I get my Eurosizer list ready to go for my guys. We have lists and we have, like I go over with my girls, all the medications for the horses when things change, they have everything. Like we all make sure that we talk and are all on the same page of how that's gonna go. So, but it's a constant. Yeah. Everything's yeah. constantly changing. Horses are changing, meds are changing. Yeah. yeah, on that realm of things, are there any forms of equipment that you're hoping to get in the near future? I honestly feel like we have a very well-balanced um, facility. We have other options that our vets know about that aren't even on our website because we don't push any therapies on our clients. You know, our vets know that we have things available, and if they want to use them, then, you know, we have it there for them. I'm always open to new toys because this is what I do, so I <laughs> love seeing different things and all the new stuff that comes out. <laughs> so I'm always open to things. But as far as like something necessarily, unless my vets tell me that I need to have this. If there's something that comes into the industry that the industry needs and embraces and the vets want, we will have it. Yeah. You know, if it costs 5000 or 150000 if it makes sense and my clients want it. If it makes our industry better and it helps what we do, all about it. Yeah, yeah that makes sense to me. Yeah. Uh, and lastly, you guys can ask me one question. So... What is your goal in the horse industry, like with what you're doing with this, and what is your... My goal? Yeah. Um, when starting this podcast, my goal was just to kind of not only selfishly build connections, because I love connecting with all different walks of life, but to kind of just show everybody that we're all here just doing the best we can. No one goes into being a farrier, starting a rehab facility, whatever their walk of life is, hoping they're gonna do a bad job. Right. We're all just trying to better the community and so to kind of bring light to that, that like, even if you might disagree with how this hunter jumper trainer treats her horses, she came into this with the love of horses. And yes, you don't agree, but you also can really get behind her story or understand and hear from her side of things what has happened similar to you know some people might have thought they knew what your guys's story was just from telephone of everyone talking but to hear it from your own voice i just feel like there's a lot of power within that um, well, what i appreciate about it i think and why i asked that is just because i think there's a lot of 
like we're in our own world here knowing what we do day in and day out but like even with the farriers I feel like doing something like this helps everybody understand everybody else because it is easy to be like no my way mm-hmm. and everybody has to work together in this industry yeah and that's what I appreciate about this is it makes it to where people can hear it and appreciate see you as a human yes and not just as this machine I think that's a big thing in all of it is seeing us as just like you're saying with people being needing you to be on demand constantly with what you'd like to see change like something like this and hearing your story people might not realize that until they hear your episode and they're like oh my god it's true I do text my farrier at 6 30 at night when he might be eating dinner with his family or... i mean i'm not gonna lie i call my farriers when we need shoes on <laughs> yeah <laughs> they're out here most days but and I some mean... <laughs> people don't mind that right there are some people that don't feel like they need to set the boundary and then there's others where i mean again going back to the farriers there are farriers who just don't respond to texts and you know that's their boundary setting is they're like you know what i shut my phone off at five o'clock i open it again at 6 a.m and those people will not hear from me until the morning. And a lot of times those people that text at 9, 10, 11 o'clock at night will get a text from him at 6 o'clock in the morning when he wakes up. So. And yeah. I do, I mean, while we're on that topic, I do want to give a shout out to, you know, all the veterinarians and trainers and owners that trust us with the care of their horses and to our managers and our farriers. Our success is their success and we cannot be successful without these professionals that are working with us and it takes a team it takes a team and it it, sometimes you have to go through a lot of team members to find the right team and it takes a lot for everybody to be able to work with like our farriers these aren't horses that they're normally doing it's while they're here and so they work with that person's farrier if that's what needs to be done. And sometimes they don't even agree with everything, but it's their job to do as they're told, just like and it is ours. And to understand ours, you know? so. what that horse needs. Yeah. And, and they're great about that. And and just the people here understanding that we need to adjust to what the horses need here and what that vet and that trainer expects. And everybody has a different expectation. I'll, I'm not gonna send my race horse home the same I'm gonna same send my hunter jumper home. And everybody understands that. And I think it's a huge thing, especially in the horse industry, to have an understanding with other professionals. Yeah, that you might not agree with everything, but that there's a mutual respect there. For sure. Yeah, definitely. Awesome. Well, thank you both for chatting with me. Oh, thank you. Hello again, and thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode of Stable Connections, the podcast. For the first two years, I put out episodes every single Monday. Now, they're going to come out kind of sporadically, sometimes every week, sometimes once a month. But if you listen to an episode and enjoy it, please leave a comment, share it with your friends, share it on your story. All of these actions help spread the word. And if you have the time, please leave a review on Facebook, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. Thank you so much. See you next time.